very much, Ruth. Thank you. Well, uh, good morning, everyone. I think we're still in the morning. Um, and thank you all for coming along today um, for this little seminar. Um, really appreciate uh, the introduction by Ruth. And also, as you just mentioned, um, one of the books, uh, I think I've read every biography that has been written uh, about Amy Carmichael and certainly uh, A Chance to Die uh, by Elizabeth Elliot would be really up there as one of the best biographers. I, I would really recommend you to read that story. It's very, very accurate and very true and uh, it's a fantastic book. Uh, and also... Um, sorry, I just would like to also plug this little book. Um, a few years ago, uh, it was the 125th anniversary of the Welcome Church, and Victor Maxwell, uh, who's a well-known uh, author, writer, local preacher, um, he wrote this book, um, and really it was to fill a little niche that hadn't been talked about before, uh, because every biography that I've read about Amy, um, when she arrived in India, uh, the question was never asked, well, what happened to the Belfast work? Did it continue on? Did it die? What happened during that period that she was there in, in, in India? And so Victor filled this niche and he tells the story parallel when Amy was in India, what actually happened to the work in Belfast and how that developed uh, from not just a mission hall, but into uh, a very much a missionary enterprise with many uh, folks from the church who went to serve overseas, uh, and how it eventually became a fully-fledged church, uh, celebrating nearly 130 years uh, in a very needy part of Belfast, which we'll touch on uh, when we come to the seminar. So this book is available. It's a little niche book. There's not too many of them uh, on the market, um, but it's here, I believe. There's a few copies left, um, and it's at $7.99. So I would recommend this read. Um, just when you come to the chapters about myself, if you want to just fast forward, that's okay. Don't be getting bored too quick. Um, but it is a good read, and I trust that you will enjoy it as well, as Elizabeth Elliot's A Chance to Die. I would just like to read uh, a few verses from God's Word just before we begin our seminar. Um, thinking of the words from Lamentations chapter 3 uh, and verse 21. God's Word says this, This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my God. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. This morning I want to talk about a lasting legacy, 150 years, uh, and how that lasting legacy uh, you know, has impacted so many lives. Uh, it really is a story of God's faithfulness, as we have read about, great is thy faithfulness. It is a story of God's faithfulness through one individual who yielded her life to Christian work and the Christian service. And that legacy is a threefold legacy. Uh, her work in Belfast that she began, and her work in India that she also founded, and also through her writings. The work in India and Belfast continues on to this very day. That's why it's a lasting legacy, as do also her books, 
37 books that Amy had written during her life. And many of those books are still in print um, and that we can read uh, freely and enjoy today. And so I would encourage you, if you really don't know that much about uh, Amy's uh, writings, I would encourage you to go and read her books. There's a wide range of books from poetry and devotional uh, stuff um, that will encourage your heart. And so I would encourage you, and we will mention that during the course of our seminar today. I'm just going to come forward a little bit um, so that I can see the, the screen as I just use the clicker. So, as I've just mentioned, this is the 150th anniversary year of Amy Carmichael. Almost like to think about this verse uh, found in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32. It's actually the latter part of uh, the verse. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And the definition of the word exploit suggests an adventurous or a heroic act. I know today that we could go through the Bible and we could draw many examples of people uh, in Scripture, some of the heroes of the faith, uh, and we, would, we could definitely say that they knew God in a, in a strong way, in a deep way, and how they carried out great exploits for God. We could actually start with Abraham, for example, a man who God took on a journey that he didn't even know where he was going, and yet he became the father of the faithful and became the friend of God. We could point to individuals like Moses, who led over two, two million people um, you know, through a wilderness, and whilst he never entered the promised land, he saw it. And that's when Joshua took over and he brought the children of Israel into the promised land, and we think of his adventures, and we think of people like uh, some of the great kings, like David. Um, we think of um, some of the great prophets, like Elijah, Elisha. So when, when we read their stories, they really knew God in a strong way and carried out great exploits. Daniel himself is another example. Going into the New Testament, we can look at some of the great missionaries, like the Apostle Paul, um, Barnabas, um, many of those other great servants of God. Um, the Apostle John, who were strong in God and who carried out great exploits. And then when the Bible stops, that's when church history and Christian history takes over. And we read of the stories of the great reformers. Uh, it was last year we celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Um, we think of the great covenanters. We think of uh, the Bible translators. I often think of people like William Tyndale. Um, even the Bible that I've read from this morning, I thank God for those um, who gave their lives, who paid the ultimate sacrifice, that we would have an English Bible uh, that we could read. Um, we think of them, we think of the great evangelists during that great awakening period, the great missionary uh, fervor and zeal. Um, all of that is there for us that we can read about right through church history. And there's many, many examples of people of faith, people who were strong in God, and who carried out great exploits, many who became martyred for the faith. But the woman I'm here to talk about today, when we think about missionary zeal, is a young woman who grew up in the village of Malayo, and, um, well, up in Belfast we call it Malisley. Um, and it's lovely to have some of the folks even here in the front row that are from in and around that area in Bolly Walter and Newtonard's uh, directions. Lovely to have you here today coming along to this presentation. 
So it all began for Amy. Amy was born on the, the 16th of December 1867. Um, and she was the eldest of seven children, four boys, three girls. Uh, her parents were David and Catherine uh, Carmichael. Um, obviously, Malayal back then in 1867, it's a lot different than the Malayal that we would notice today. Um, certainly, um, there wouldn't be the amount of caravan traffic um, back then as what you would have today. Uh, Malayal back then was just a sea of whitewashed cottages. Uh, and the Carmichael family, they were actually from Covenant and Stock. They came over from Ayrshire, I think in the 16th, 17th century. And they set up flour mills. Uh, and if anybody was to drive through um, the village of Malayal today, the original uh, mill house is still there. Um, obviously, people are living in it. That's a lot different from what it was then. Um, but the Carmichael family uh, had flour mills and they brought a lot of employment into the area and they had a real social conscience not only to provide employment but also to minister to the people of that particular area and they were also strongly involved in the local Presbyterian church in Malayal and Bally Copeland. Here we have uh, an Ulster history circle plaque uh, that is erected. There's only two of those plaques regarding Amy Carmichael. One uh, is situated uh, at the Welcome Evangelical Church in Belfast. And the other is on the wall um, of the Baptist Church in Malayal. Um, I don't know uh, if some of you folks would, would know this, but the Baptist Church was originally built in 1866, a year before Amy's birth. Uh, and that was built as an original schoolhouse uh, for the children of the area. And the Carmichael family were instrumental in financing this schoolhouse. Here we have another picture of how the social conscience came through and how they wanted to minister to the local area. Uh, and so whilst that's not a, a schoolhouse anymore, it's the local Baptist church, uh, and uh, we thank God that that plaque is there to remind um, everyone who would go in through those doors that Amy, the missionary and writer, was born in the village of Malayal. The Shawleys, let me just bring you very, very quickly uh, up to speed regarding this. So Amy, um, Amy was born in Malayla, as I've just mentioned. And in her early teenage years, Amy, um, very, very briefly for a couple of years, she actually moved to Harrogate in Yorkshire. She was educated there. Family sent her to a boarding school. Um, and it was a very, uh, you know, it was a very distinguished boarding school that she went to, Harrogate Ladies School. In fact, last year, at the end of last year in December of last year, uh, Roger Carswell, who's one of the, the evangelists well known in the UK, um, Roger invited myself and we had the opportunity of, of going along to Harrogate Ladies School. Uh, and uh, it is a very exclusive school. If you have £38,000 a year, um, to educate your child, um, that's, that's the school funds. Um, but it was wonderful to be invited along there and to be able to speak at a school assembly of all of the children who were there and to give them a little booklet about a former pupil and her story, Amy Carmichael. Amy Carmichael, while she was there in that boarding school, uh, attended a, a children's meeting and it was there that she came under conviction and she gave her heart to the Lord um, in this particular school. So that was wonderful to be able to go back there and to be able to have that little bit of contact. 
So the family then moved from Malay, they came up from Malay to the city of Belfast, really for economic reasons. It was apparently it was cheaper to import American wheat into the harbour, into, into Belfast Harbour, rather than Donegadee Harbour. Um, and so the family made the decision to move to Belfast and they settled in 22 College Gardens, uh, which is quite close to the Queen's University area. And, you know, moving from that lovely little part of County Down and moving up into the city was a, a real big move for the Carmichael family. But they found a spiritual home in Rosemary Street Presbyterian Church. And while attending uh, that particular church, it was there that two things happened to Amy which was really life-changing. Uh, one particular Sunday, the family was coming home from church. I should add that Amy's father had passed away at that particular time. Um, he died in his early 50s. Um, and Amy really stepped up to the mark to help her mum. She was the eldest child and she became like a second mother to the other siblings. And they were walking home from church one Sunday and something happened that had never happened before. <clears throat> While they were talking going home from church, um, an old lady, and we could only describe her as being uh, very uh, shabbily dressed, filthy, uh, dirty, uh, and she was carrying um, like a heavy bundle. And she was obviously struggling while carrying this bundle. And Amy and her brothers were the only two people that stopped to help the minister to this lady. Everybody just walked by and just ignored her. Others, the eyes just riveted on Amy and her brothers as they stopped to help. And that was a life-changing moment for Amy because she had an experience with God that day, just walking past a newly erected water fountain, which is actually still there, directly facing the BBC. Um, and so Amy had an encounter with God that day where God spoke very clearly uh, into her heart and challenged her um, how she would live the rest of her life. And she was convinced that she was to live the rest of her life serving other people, um, empathizing with people and ministering to people. So that was the first change, um, the first major thing that happened. The second thing that happened in that brief time in Belfast is that Amy came under the influence of a Presbyterian minister called Henry Montgomery. Henry Montgomery was the minister of the Albert Hall, the Shankill Road Mission, and done a wonderful work for God there. He was very much part of the Ulster Covenant signing, which was also in and around that period uh, of time as well. And he was also instrumental in the founding of the Belfast City Missions. And it was through Henry Montgomery's ministry where he took Amy Carmichael under his wing um, and he brought Amy in and around the slums of Belfast, introduced him to a part of the world that she would never have seen over in 22 College Gardens uh, in the Queen's University area. And this really struck a chord with Amy. Um, she started a ministry among the girls called the Shawleys, and that's what I'm getting to right now. The Shawleys were girls who worked in the local Belfast mills. I don't know if any of you folks uh, have family members, um, grannies, grandas, you know, great grannies, grandas that maybe would have had a connection down through the years working in the Belfast mills. Uh, 
And, and those were places that were very, very difficult work environments where people were sent along to work for maybe 10, 14 hours a day for very little pay, and they worked in filthy conditions. It was part of the whole economic revolution at that time, um, especially in the city of Belfast when they were producing Irish linen. And so these girls would have worked um, in uh, those mills. Um, Coming to to church, they couldn't afford to wear the fancy garb, the Sunday best that many uh, men and women would have wore during that Victorian period. They couldn't afford to wear nice hats, which the ladies would have dressed um, going along to church. Um, And so because they couldn't afford to wear the hats, they wore shawls. They wore a scarf which covered their head scarfs called shawls and hence they got the nickname the shawlies and they were the group of people that even back then folks there was a real um there there was a social distinction they were the outcasts of society they weren't really welcome in church and hence the reason when you think about it folks the belfast city mission really was founded to try and minister to the local working class people like these girls simply because the established churches struggled to really accept these kind of people into their churches. So even way back then, there was like an outcast, there was a social distinction. They were just tired from being rejected. You just get the image there in some of their faces. Um, Also, it gives you an idea of what life would be like inside West Belfast in the 1880s. Inside the mill, uh, when I look at this lady here, when I look at her left hand on the machine, um, I don't know if there's any health and safety inspectors here today, but she's an accident waiting to happen, isn't she? Um, I wouldn't like to be the one pressing the button with that machine going off. Um, but that would have given you an idea of what life would be like in one of those places. Here we have another just image of, of somebody, who, a few of the people who would have worked in the mills. And here we have a a quotation of Amy and also just a typical family uh, that Amy would have ministered to, particularly when she went with Henry Montgomery on those Saturday evenings. If souls can suffer alongside, and I hardly know of it because of, sorry, that should be back again, because of the spirit of discernment is not in me, then I know nothing of Calvary love. So when we think of that old lady, remember the old lady that that she met that day um, and how she helped her? And get into the slums of Belfast and seeing how the other people lived and believing that there was a ministry there um, really just changed Amy's life. Somebody who grew up in a very middle class kind of a background. Typical streets in Belfast in the 1880s. Honestly now, come on, confession's good for the soul. Can anybody here remember those type of houses, living in those houses? Raise your hand. There we are. There's a few honest souls around here. Very good. I mean, I remember, you know, growing up in the heart of the Shankill area, my granny's house, you know, the old terraced house. And when you tell children today, I mean, as, as Ruth mentioned about a 16-year-old, we have a 16-year-old son. When you talk about a two-up and a two-down and an outside toilet, they kind of look at you. How do people live like that? And yet there was maybe families of 10, 12 children, you know, cooped within... Uh, a little terraced house. And yet it could be argued because when I look at that photograph and you see the people standing outside talking in the streets, you know, it could be argued that even back then, even though the people may not have had much when it comes to material goods, 
there certainly seemed to be a more social awareness where people looked out for each other. Um, I mean, I live in a cul-de-sac and we have some neighbours and I don't even know what, the, what their names are. Maybe you have the same kind of a situation. You could live in an area and not even know the, the, the people that live across the street from you. But if you were living back then uh, in a typical street in Belfast, I can assure you that everybody would have known everyone in that area and made sure that people were looked after and uh, were, were and, and fed and clothed and looked after and ministered to. And so we come to Canberra Street. I often say that Canberra Street um, might not mean much to you, but to me, it's the centre of the earth. Because you can go anywhere in this world from Canberra Street. And the penny will just drop in a moment when I say that. Canberra Street, yes, that's, this is where the Welcome Church uh, is located. And really what we have here is two views of the same place with many years in between. Amy's work among the Shawleys had grew um, very, very quickly. Um, Dr. Park, who was the minister of Rosemary Street, he very kindly gave Amy a room where he could bring the girls in and minister to them. But that outgrew itself very quickly. So also did the frowns on the faces of the congregation when so many of these Shawleys actually came into the church service. Um, sadly, they didn't like that idea, uh, the members. And so Amy realised that she needed a place of her own, needed to have a place of their own identity, somewhere close by, somewhere close to where um, they worked for so many hours a day. And in around that area of Canberra Street, Crumlin Road, you had Yurt's Mill, you had Brookfield Mill, um, you had Eaton Dairy Mill, you were surrounded with all of those mills. And there was literally thousands of people would have went to work there every day. And so Amy wanted a place where they could come to, maybe in their lunch break, that they could come along to, um, and have evening services, where not only there was gospel meetings and prayer meetings, but the social conscience in Amy, she wanted to teach these girls how to read and write. Many of them couldn't read or write, they were just sent from school into a work environment. Um, Learned them social skills like learning how to sew, uh, how to knit, how to play musical instruments. All sorts of things um, started to happen when the Welcome Hall was founded. Let me just bring you up to speed with that. A family friend um, wanted to give a gift uh, towards God's work. Her, her name was Kate Mitchell. Again, they were uh, a very wealthy family who lived in the Craig of Ad area. Anybody who knows the Coultra stretch, they had a beautiful big house there um, in Coultra overlooking the sea. And this lady wanted to give a gift to God's work. And Amy had been reading a magazine how that a corrugated iron building could be built for £500. Now you can imagine back in 1888, 1889, that was a huge sum of money. It was a fortune for people. But this lady um, had that money and she wanted to give a gift. And she gave that to Amy uh, for her work. And within a three-month period, um, having obtained the lease in October 1888, and I know because I have the documents back in the church, um, the solicitor's letters, um, on the 2nd of January 1889, the, the welcome work began. An outreach uh, to the mill workers and to the local people who lived around that area. Amy invited along two students from um, Chicago. They were students of D.L. Moody, the, the great American evangelist. 
and they came along, they, they conducted a mission, and while they were there, they brought a, a hymn with them from America that had never been introduced in the British Isles before. And it was the hymn, I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he has made known, for I know whom I believe it. And, and that's a beautiful tune. And apparently back then, uh, the people, when they started to hear the tune off it, they were whistling around the streets off the Shankill Road. And uh, so that was incredible. And so the welcome work began back in 1889 and continues on to this very day as a church, a thriving church, ministering in that part, that very needy part of Belfast. That's the first part of Amy's legacy, the Belfast work, and we'll come back to it again at the end. But the second part of Amy's legacy is her years in India. The woman behind the mission. She was there probably a year, maybe two years, um, in the welcome. And then the family made a decision. They moved to the city of Manchester. And Amy went there with her mum. But her brothers and sisters, they scattered basically around the world. Some of them went to America, some went to South Africa, and some went to Canada. But Amy went to Manchester and she set up a similar welcome work uh, in the city of Manchester. While she was there, she met a friend, uh, Robert Wilson, who was one of the founders of the Keswick Convention. And he asked Amy to come and to stay with him. He had uh, a wonderful big mansion in a place called Broughton Grange, uh, near Cockermouth in the Lake District area. His wife had just died. Uh, his daughter had also recently died and left him with two strapping big sons, but no motherly or, or lady influence there to help in the house. And so he, he offered a place for Amy to come and stay. And he came, and she came instead with him. Amy became one of the first uh, um, secretaries of the Keswick Convention. And while she was there at the convention, she listened to some of the great missionaries um, like Hudson Taylor and others who would have been invited to speak and that whetted her appetite for missionary zeal. And so in 1893, Amy became the Keswick Convention's first ever missionary and went to Japan. She was there for a year. Uh, and then because of the climate that didn't really agree with her, she took sick. Um, on her way back to the UK, she spent six months in Sri Lanka. So that was her first experience of missionary travel. And again, it was wonderful on a personal note a few weeks back, on this the 150th anniversary of Amy's birth, that we were invited over to Keswick. And it was wonderful to be able in the Methodist Church to be able to talk about the lasting legacy um, in the environment where she first heard a missionary call and went to serve. So it wasn't long after that that she came back to the UK and looked after Robert Wilson for another period of time, threw herself into the Keswick work, and then the appetite was just wooing her again. God was speaking to her heart. She was reading the Bible. And she was being challenged about serving overseas as a missionary. But where was she going to go? She was very, very clear in her mind that God wanted her to go to China. God wanted her to, to work with Hudson Taylor. But that door closed. She went for all the various tests and, and uh, medicals and so forth. But the doctor closed the door. And Amy left herself in a situation, you know, she was really 
frustrated. Where does the Lord want me to be? And so she learned patience during that time. And God was teaching her. God was speaking to her. And then it was in 1895 where the door opened through the Church of England Missionary Society where Amy had the opportunity to go to Bangalore in India. And she left there in 1895. She left the UK to go to India. She passed away in 1951, 55, 56 years later. And in between that period when she left in 1895, Amy never returned home once. She stayed in India right through that period. There was no furloughs. There was no coming back and reporting to the church about her missionary uh, enterprise or anything like that. She stayed there during that whole time. And I know you folks today that are involved in churches, that just would not be acceptable. How could you support a missionary? You're a missionary, but you can't be bothered to come home and give a report, <laughs> you know, on the work that she's involved in. But that, that's what made her so unique uh, in her work and in her ministry. The first six years of Amy's uh, life in India, it was just the life of an ordinary missionary. She was there to evangelize, bring the gospel to people who had never heard the gospel before. But within six years, Amy's life dramatically changed. Let me tell you the story. Try and imagine, folks, that you're sitting um, in your little um, missionary bungalow. You're out in the veranda this beautiful morning. And all of a sudden, this seven-year-old child arrives at the door. And you find out that this seven-year-old child is a temple child. What is a temple child? A temple child was a child that would have been brought along to the Hindu temples uh, by their parents and as a sacrifice to the Hindu gods. Those children would have been raised there. And while they were raised there, they were exposed to a life um, that was horrific, for want of a better term. Um, I'm looking down and I know that there's a mixed audience here today. But if we were to think in Northern Ireland terms, if we can think of the, the Concora scandals, and as we think of the Nazareth House scandals, we easily get a picture of what type of behaviour was happening inside the Hindu temple, where those children, uh, especially the girls, became Devadasi temple children, married to the gods, where they were made to perform sexual acts. It was all uh, sex trafficking in the name of religion. This particular child, uh, the seven-year-old Prina, she had hated the life there. She had escaped once before and being caught by the temple people, she was punished. Her hands were branded with hot iron, which meant that there were scars on this child's hands for the rest of her life. But she managed to escape again. That didn't put her off. She escaped again and somehow in the providence of God, she arrived at the bungalow, the missionary bungalow of Amy Carmichael. And when she explained what happened, Amy brought her in. Um, much to, um, obviously there was opposition because the temple people soon traced her steps. But Amy, to cut a long story short, looked after this one child. Uh, this one child became two, two became four. Uh, and eventually the bungalow became too small. They moved to Donover, which is 30 miles from the southern tip of India. And it's there that they opened an orphanage during a period of time. And that ministry developed um, through um, offering 
classroom assisted, uh, facilities, um, hospitals, dentistry, surgery, all sorts of things was happening within this one compound that developed. And God met every need. As the family grew, Amy didn't make big appeals for money. She just brought all of her needs to God in prayer. And God met every need along the way. It's an incredible story of faith. And that's the ministry that Amy was involved in. Uh, from Prina, who came on the 6th of March, 1901, right to Amy's passing in January of 1951, over 50 years of working with children and serving the children of India, providing a place for them and where they heard the gospel and where they were also looked after. Here we have a picture. If you were to go to Donover today, there it is. That's the entrance into the Donover Fellowship. Some of the children that will be there today. And in the background you have the house of prayer. If you were to go to India today, there's no massive tombstone. Um, not a lot of detail. All you'll find is a bird bath. And on that bird bath is the name of the word Amma. Amma is the Tamil word for mother. Amy was known as Amma to all of those children that she ministered to over the years. On that, on that little bird bath, there's the date of her birth and the date of her death. It's surrounded with wildflowers and shrubs and so forth. And Amy would have approved of that because she loved nature. And that was one of the things she taught children, you know, how to appreciate nature, all of the insects and birds and animals and so forth. And, um, and that's, how they were, that's how she raised her Donover Fellowship. So that's located in the right place. And that's all that you would see there um, in Donover. It's a safe thing to trust God with the desires that he creates. Another uh, quotation from Amy Carmichael. Some of the other quotations here, just for the sake of time, I'm just racing on. I would encourage you, um, because the India work is the second part of the lasting legacy. The third part of the legacy is her writings. Um, she wasn't just a wonderful missionary, but she was a wonderful writer. And as I've mentioned, she wrote 37 books during her life. And there's many biographies written about her. We've already touched on some of those today. But 13 of Amy's books were written during the last 20 years of her life. Let me tell you about that. It was in 1931 when Amy was building um, holiday bungalows um, for people, especially the children, where they could go and stay away from the hot uh, climate, the hot summers in India. Uh, in the forest, it was a bit more cooler there. And so while she was doing that, she actually had an accident. She fell and um, she was practically paralyzed. Um, for the last 20 years of her life, Amy lay in a bedroom in, a in virtually a, a paralyzed state. Apart from taking a few footsteps around her room, um, she just lay in a bed. And, you know, some of us would think, well, you know, that's her life of activity over, running looking after all of these children, how could she run an orphanage from a bedroom? Well, she managed to do it with the help of some of the other folks that were with her. But she picked up her pen, and it was during those years that, are, that were probably some of the most productive years of her life, because her books live on. Some of those books, um, like Candles in the Dark and so forth, that were written during difficult times, are still readily available today that we can read and that we can enjoy. So that's the third part of Amy's legacy, her writings that live on to this very day. Just coming back to Canberra Street, I want to just 
briefly mention something and then I'm more than happy to open it up for questions if anybody has a question in mind. Um, but the welcome work during those years that Amy was in India, during the First and the Second World Wars, and also right through the period of the Troubles, God sustained that work. That light continued in a very needy area of Belfast, um, even the local tensions of the last number of years. And it's been my privilege, uh, as Ruth introduced at the beginning, with myself and Lorraine, to be there 12 years, pastoring the local church. I always remember what George Bates, uh, some of the folks may have heard of George, he's a local evangelist. Um, prior to my call to the welcome, and I was praying about it, um, and I went and I spoke to George because he had, he had conducted a mission in the welcome many years ago. And I always remember what he said to me prior to accepting the call. He said that work was planted by God through a wee girl who came from Malaya and grew up to be one of the greatest missionaries that has ever lived. That was quite a statement that I've never forgotten. And so every time I walk into that church, I realize I step into a ground that was well prayed over, um, holy ground. And thank God that we're able to continue in the footsteps of her ministry. And so the legacy lives on. want to very, very quickly talk about, um, it was a couple of years ago, uh, part of the anniversary year, uh, which was 2014. Uh, the church at the Welcome, we were looking at trying to, um, to build a brick building, a static building, a centre, a youth centre, that we could commemorate um, and, and give thanks to God for Amy's ministry, that we would call the Amy Carmichael Centre. And very, very quickly, we ran into so many obstacles because we're a standalone church, we're interdenominational. Uh, just the folks who come along to the church, I mean, what we raise, we pay out, and you can understand that. Um, so there was no huge body of money uh, dripping in uh, to keep the work and sustaining the work. Um, but we have the vision that we believe that God wanted a lasting legacy, a memorial of the work that Amy Carmichael uh, was involved in, in the spirit of Amy Carmichael. And so we kept praying about this. Every door was closed. Um, there was government cuts, austerity cuts, all sorts of things. Every door that we knocked, every source of funding that we went down, we were just hitting roadblocks. It just wasn't happening. But we believed that God was in this project. And a very interesting thing happened. Um, I'm going back to, yeah, it was 2015. Uh, if you can think about the month of August 2015, um, we were basically told then by two government officials, the project's off the table. Forget about it. All the forms you've filled in, everything you've done, it's not going to happen. It's dead. It's gone. The following month, there was a government reshuffle in Stormont. Who remembers the days when we had a functioning government in Stormont? <laughs> they were good days, weren't they? <laughs> and I'm only joking. Um, but you know what? That particular month of September, there was a government reshuffle. And into um, the, the, the position of being one of the ministers uh, that dealt with this kind of... I'm, I'm just trying to think of the term. Um, but Mervyn's story... Yeah, social development. Mervyn's story who's a born-again believer, goes to the Free Presbyterian Church up in Balamoni. He stepped into the post, and in his own words, he had testified that during the month of August, on holiday, he had been reading a book 
by Warren Wearsby called 10 Christians that everybody should know. And in that book, there was a chapter devoted to the life of Amy Carmichael. So obviously, Amy was still fresh in his mind. And when he come to the, the table in September, I think it was, and on the desk there was the rejects, the, you know, the, the projects that had been rejected, projects that had been accepted, and he came across the Amy Carmichael project. And it must have been a God moment in his life because it lit the bulb and uh, lit the fuse and he inquired about this project, what's this about? One of the ministers told him, look, it's a local church, they're trying to build a centre, but forget about it, it's off the table. And he just, well, hold on a minute, I want to find more about this. Go and bring in the people who's rejected it. And so when he got a bit more information, he then authorised them, go and make this happen. Go and find the money. And to cut a very long story short, what seemed to be a closed book, a closed project, but we believed that God was in it. We kept praying about it. Um, God opened that door. And the following August 2016, the Amy Carmichael Centre opened in the Woodville area. And that building is used for all sorts of ministries with over 100 kids who come in there on a Friday night. Uh, and there's an ongoing ministry of um, different things that are happening that I want to tell you about very shortly. But Mervyn's story stood that day, and I'm only quoting from memory what he had said. At the opening of the Amy Carmichael Centre, he said, Do you know what? It was an Esther moment. It was a Queen Esther moment. God had brought me. And if God, all of the years that I'd been involved in politics, if God had brought me into that particular post for such a time as this, then it was worth all of the years just to pass this one project and to make that happen than all of the years of serving in local politics. And so one of the things that we wanted to do, one of the features... We wanted, we thought, well, if Amy Carmichael was here today, being involved with all of the, the children and the special needs children, um, doing a little bit of market research in the area that we live, and I'm sure it's in the same where you live also, um, we very quickly saw that, that there, was a, there was a growing need for children who had autism, um, ADHD, Asperger's. And we had heard about, um, in one particular place, um, how that there was sensory room facilities provided to help children um, who, who, who were, were autistic. And so we thought, well, Lord, if, if Amy was here today, what would she do with one of those rooms? Would she be interested? Would she want to do something to help children with autism? And so we opened up a sensory room. There's yours truly in the very bottom corner there with all of the lights flashing. And it's wonderful that a, a work in that area has started for children who suffer, who are autistic. And even right to recently, that a local scout group has been formed and every one of those children suffer from autism. They're all autistic. And we just thank God for the ministries that have developed. And I believe that if Amy was here today, she would be pleased with that because it's serving a need uh, as well as connecting with the families of the local area. Both our India, Belfast, and also the book ministry continues on to this very day. Also want to just touch on, it's lovely that Ross is here today, Ross Wilson. Um, the latest feature of the Last and Legacy is this beautiful bronze statue of Amy as a 10-year-old girl. Um, 
This was uh, erected and launched on Amy's birthday, the 16th of December last year in Hamilton Road Presbyterian Church. Uh, and it was great to be there at that particular uh, launch. The sculpture is beautiful. It's a beautiful piece of art that Ross is to be really congratulated on producing. And I would encourage you, if you haven't been down around that area, go down past the church, go down at night time when it's all lit up, and it is so beautiful. And this is the latest feature of the lasting legacy of Amy Carmichael. There's a list of the books, uh, you know, please Google them and find out about them and go and read them and enjoy her writings. And so we see, folks, just as I just finished my little bit here, that this is a story of God's faithfulness. We're not here to hero worship any individual. But what you have just witnessed, I hope you've witnessed this today, is a story of God's faithfulness through one life, one girl, who was willing to yield her life to Christian service. And how God blessed that life and how God has used that life. And when I think of what God said to Moses, what do you have in your hands? Do you remember that portion from the Bible? See that stick in your hand? I can turn that into a scorpion. Pick it up again, that scorpion can be turned into a stick. Whatever we have in our hands, whatever ministries that we're involved in, from the youngest to the oldest here today, whatever we have, whatever abilities, I would encourage you, just like Amy Carmichael, God may not call you overseas. He may call you to a worker to be involved in the work where you are now. But whatever you're involved in, whatever you have in your hands, use it for God's glory. And do you know what? Maybe someday someone will pick up the pen and write about your exploits and the work that you've been involved in in God's service. And so this is the story of the lasting legacy of Amy Carmichael. And I'm happy just now to open this up I think of 10 minutes, Ruth, haven't I? Yeah. Any questions that anybody would like to ask, please? So the gentleman has asked why Amy Carmichael, during the years that she was in India, why she adopted Indian dress. Very, very simply because she didn't want to stand out as, you know, um, you know the missionary. The, the, how can I explain it? You know, I, I would imagine... I mean, I, I wasn't there, so I'm trying to explain it in my, own, in, in my own words. But you can imagine that, you know, these were Western, people from a Western world. They dressed different and they stood out. But Amy believed that to try and reach the Indian people, that she had to dress like them, she had to look like them, she had to adopt the whole Indian culture just to be like them. Um, I suppose in the words of the Apostle Paul, she had to become all things the all men that by all means that she would win some for Christ. And that's the reason why she wore the Indian dress. Yeah, and there is, and could I also just add to that by saying that a number of years ago, I got a phone call one day from um, the secretary of the church, and she said, there's a couple who wants to meet you. They've just come off a cruise ship from Phoenix, Arizona. They've came into Belfast, and they want to meet you. I said, well, who are they? Well, this particular gentleman is the only living sibling of the Carmichael clan. It was Amy Carmichael's um, brother's great uh, brother's grandson, Ernest. It was his grandson. Uh, he was David Carmichael. And David Carmichael came and he met us in the church and he brought with him a series of letters, of correspondence between him and Amy that dated back to 1948. He gave me those copies 
that we have in our own church. So if any of you folks ever want to take a trip to Belfast and you want to see some original letters or some original photographs, just contact us and come up and we'll show you them and uh, you'll be inspired through them. But there is stuff, as a gentleman has mentioned, in the public record office there. Some of the original scrapbooks, her Bibles there, and some of the original letters as well. Okay, so the question is asked uh, from the lady here. Um, when we were in Harrogate uh, last December, what was the response of the girls, uh, the pupils who were in the, uh, who came along to the assembly? Well, all I could say, thinking back, it was like a scene from Harry Potter. Because they all came out wearing these dark brown capes, um, which was very, very interesting. And I looked, and there was quite a lot of um, Asian connection, quite a lot of Chinese, Japanese students who were there. Uh, but every one of them took the little leaflet, um, the biography of Amy's story. And while I was in Keswick uh, a few weeks ago and telling the story about, about Harrogate, this gentleman came up afterwards and he said, I'm glad that you mentioned that school. I'm one of the former principals of the Harrogate Ladies School. And, and he had mentioned about the whole Christian connection in the Board of Governors right down through the years. And, you know, this is why I enjoy this kind of question and answer. Because when I launched, uh, when, when Last and Legacy was launched last October in Malayle Baptist Church, which was a fitting place to launch it. A gentleman stood up who was a retired school principal. He spent a bit of time in Bangalore and he talked about a friend of his who he had met in India. This gentleman had set up uh, Bible instit institutes right through Bangalore into the Delhi, Madras, right across India. Uh, and they had satellite uh, Bible Institute that, that he formed. This particular gentleman, his grandmother was an original temple child who Amy Carmichael helped to rescue. And who would have known in the plan and providence of God that when this child was rescued, that her grandson or her great-grandson, God would raise up and would use him to set up Bible institutes and satellites right across the country. Not a marvellous story. And that just came out of a question and answer. Anybody else? Yes. Very interesting question. So the lady has asked um, when Amy started to rescue those children from um, the temple prostitution, does that practice continue on? Well, um, the answer to that is in parts of India, the Devadasi temple girls, they still exist. More so in the northern part of India, uh, where there's a real huge strong Hindu connection. Um, but Amy, through her work through those 50 years with Donovan and rescuing those children, she helped to abolish the practice in the southern part of India and was rewarded accordingly by the Indian government, who gave her something similar to what we would have, like a Nobel Peace Prize. She was recognised by the people uh, for her service and for, for rescuing the children. So it's still going on in the north, but not in the south. Yes, that's right. So we have the church, the corrugated iron building, the, the, the original tin tabernacle. That became the brick building in 1959, which is the Welcome Evangelical Church. And right beside it, there's only a gate separates the Welcome Evangelical Church and the Amy Carmichael Centre. That was the church. So on the photo, now, 
Do you mean the recent one or the one? Would you like to hazard a guess what that building is on the right-hand side? It is indeed. It is indeed. Our next-door neighbours is the Ulster Defence Association, known as Heather Street. And the good thing is, this is my own private security company. So, we'll look after as well. Yes, but you, you don't want to make it in there. It's closed at the minute. I'm led to believe. Okay, just I hope you're not a Sunday News or a Sunday World writer. Sorry. Very, very interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Uh-huh. Thank you. Thank you. Any other questions? Anybody from the back, from the front? Or... Do you have your hand up? Oh, <laughs> okay. You want the story about the brown eyes. Okay. Okay. Um, so, as a young girl, grown up in Malayo, um, obviously being taught in Sunday school and taught by her family, um, she had learned that God is a God who answers prayer. And so she decided to put this to test uh, one particular day because she was born, obviously, with brown eyes. And, uh, but she loved the colour blue. And so, in a very simplistic child's prayer, she went to the Lord in prayer one night and said, Lord, I, you're a God who answers prayer. I'm asking you that when I wake up in the, in the, in the morning, that the colour of my eyes will be changed from brown to blue. And so you can imagine waking up the next day the disappointment when she realized that God hadn't answered her prayer. But the thing is, folks, later on in life, you know, God doesn't make mistakes. And this is the main lesson that we should learn from a, a really simplistic story. Because God doesn't give us everything that we want. Um, he doesn't answer all of our prayers the way that we want him to. But you can fast forward in time, for example, and think of Amy when this seven-year-old child came to her and told her about life inside the temple. You know, it's, you know what it's like. I mean, I have a 16-year-old, and sometimes they can tell you stories, and you think, is that really true? But for Amy to see for herself, and then to pick up the pen and to start writing about what she had seen, she needed to get inside that Hindu temple herself. How was she going to do that? Well, she disguised herself with coffee stains. She covered her hands, her arms with coffee, her face, and she wore the brown sari. And so you can imagine how the brown eyes and the brown skin and the brown sari, how that all complemented and disguised her in such a way that she was able to get in without being spotted and seeing at first hand exactly what happened to those children. And that's when she picked up the pen and started to write about it and to highlight those facts. Now, if God had to change the color of her eyes, back then as a child, from brown to blue. Those blue eyes would have stood out like a sore thumb. God doesn't make mistakes, folks. He, he's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. And he knows all things and what's best for every one of us. So, I'll pray. Okay, okay I'm just going to close in prayer. I'm just going to run the time. Let me just pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you today. We well, thank you for New Horizon. We well, thank you for thank you for all of the, the folks that are here. Thank you for every believer that has come along just to fellowship. And I just pray for everyone here today that you would inspire us through this story of one girl. This is a story of your faithfulness through one individual. And that one individual can inspire our lives to serve you in a greater way. I pray for everyone here today Pray for every church that's represented, every home group, every house group, 
I pray for everyone. Lord, whatever ministries that folks are involved in here, that you would bless them, that you would encourage them, and that you would inspire them, even through this story, that you are a God who doesn't make mistakes. And so encourage each one, I pray. And I pray that you'll bless Ruth as well, involved in her ministry. Right through uh, everyone that is here today, encourage each one. And we ask this for Jesus' sake.